Good morning. Greetings to each of you in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm starting to feel more like a stranger when I come here. There's people I don't know. That's good. <clears throat> See the work of the Lord, His kingdom being expanded, and it's what we all desire. I thank you for your prayers as I studied. I sort of was thinking I would uh, just preach one that I had down at home. I'm going through the book of Revelation. There's lots of things in there. I, I'm ready for chapter 10. And as I was just continuing studying and you know, reading ahead and looking at things, and in chapter 12... There is a verse, and I, I don't have a text verse per se. It, it's Verse 17 is what really, um, and you don't necessarily have to turn there. I, I'm going to be going a lot of different places with the title that I have this morning on spiritual warfare. And it's a big subject, but I want to begin in Revelation here. Of course, that's my mind's been there a lot. And I have four, four things we're going to look at quick. I, it's a rainy day. We have a fellowship meal, so just sit and take it in if I can do that for you. Message that God has for all of us. The revelation of spiritual warfare. Second one is the reality of spiritual warfare. The third one is the results of spiritual warfare. And I actually have another one I missed in between there. Responsibility of spiritual warfare. And in the shortened that term, we're just going to call it war. And I didn't realize later till we, uh, in studying this that there is war going on. And we don't have to... We don't have to be taught what war is. It is just when Russia invades Ukraine and when Israel says enough of Hamas and they proceed in war. But that's physical war. And Revelation reveals, if you want to say, it shows us a different war. It would be good to read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to. I'm going to give it to you in just a quick summary but even before we get to seven to chapter 12, we're going to back up to a part of chapter 5 that I did preach uh, previous about how the Lamb was worthy to take a book, how John saw a book or a scroll. And in studying that, it was difficult to understand what all took place with that. The lamb being worthy to take this scroll or this book. And what that book represents and different ideas from commentaries, different ones talking with, it could represent relationships of the created man to his creator. It could represent as in like a title deed of who is owning man. And it could be just the purpose of God in, in redeeming mankind. As we know in uh, chapter 5, 
I'll just read it here quick. Summarizes it up. It's the angels actually singing a song. It says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by, the bl- by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So let's, it, you can kind of see like, well, where's the war with that? What, what was so conflicting with the lamb just taking the book? But you go to chapter 12 and you try to quickly give it to you. You have a woman pictured in labor, ready to deliver a child. And you have this horrible red dragon. Describes the woman, it describes the dragon with different things. It's waiting for that child to be delivered, to devour it. And as the child was brought forth, it was a child that was going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Just as that child is born, it was caught up to God. And the dragon was unable to do anything. And the woman was able to flee to a place prepared by God. And then it throws in the middle, it says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon was not able to prevail, and there was no more place found in heaven. And it was cast to the earth. The dragon in his wrath persecuted the woman as much as he could, but the woman was given wings of an eagle to fly to a place unreachable by the dragon. And the dragon in his fury spewed water out of his mouth for the woman to be swept away. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and the waters were taken in before it could get to the woman. In Revelation 12 and 17... It says, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. A lot was said in the Sunday school lesson of the flesh and the spirit. And I assume you understand that this war that the dragon has is wroth, he's angry, is one that we don't see with our eyes. It's like John said in our lesson with the verse of the wind. We can't see it. That's the way the spirit is. We see the effects. We know it's real. We can't see it. And that I bring to you as the revelation of the war. Genesis 3.15, familiar verse says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. 
it's nice to leave all the timing of when all this happened. Just, it's not for today. But we know that this war has been from right after Satan wanted to be like God. And I want to bring out two terms just as a, if I say the right thing, that way you understand. And I think it, it makes sense because as we know it today in physical war, war is the whole conflict from start to finish between God and Satan. That is the war. Now you take a battle. That is a specific engagement of fighting to help determine who wins the war. You see it in the battles that take place. You can read in history about different battles that would take place. So that is the war that we're in. It's what's given to us in presenting it, the revelation uh, of what we're in. Now we'll go to the second point, the realities of war. And when I say war, spiritual war. So you understand that. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. You all know this. Spiritual warfare is one of the spirit, not of the flesh. But it gets complicated because human flesh is what contains the spirit and therefore it is the battleground for the war. Second Corinthians 10.4, the verse right following, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. <clears throat> verse a lot of us know of, and a little bit that I understand of it, it's not the physical battle between flesh and blood there. It's a battle in the mind of convincing other people that they are wrong. They're full of error. They are deceived. And you have the fun, the challenge, the fun maybe wasn't a good word, of trying to convince that person that he's wrong. And God helps us with that. It's not that our weapons are carnal. We do not use physical weapons for spiritual war. Battles won can include God's help in persuading the unbelieving mind or minds to that of truth. <clears throat> James 4.1 From whence come wars and fightings among you? Now, if you stop there, it says, whence comes wars? And I, that actually, I think, is, you know, why do you fight with somebody? Why do you, uh, it's all around. You've got 
out there, hopefully. You got families fighting, you got fighting going on at work, you got, and it's, it's physical in a sense. But then the verse says, Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members. I think Kevin alluded to the internal and his devotional, the, the things that take place inside you. And I think that's why the outside happens is because there was something going on on the inside, first of all. The physical wars and fightings among us come from a spiritual war within. And if you didn't hear this before, we are spiritual beings. John alluded to it in Sunday school. Your spirit never dies but your body will go back to the ground. And so we need to see that we are more spiritual than we are physical. 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That three-letter word, War against the soul is a reality of the battle, of the war that's going on. And the war is for your soul. Satan wars for your soul. I don't think, say think, I don't know how to phrase the part that Jesus, what Jesus does for us. I want to, it's easy to say Satan wars for your soul and Jesus Christ wars for your soul. But this doesn't seem quite right. And Satan does war for our soul, but Jesus Christ provides all we need to come to him. And the war comes down to it is our choice. And that is where the war is. It is in your choosing. Ephesians 6.12 for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. My little word study on wrestle. I don't know if any of you were wrestlers when you were young, but that is exactly what that word is. It is hand-to-hand -hand combat. And we know that in a spiritual sense. You take on somebody in wrestling, you physically grab them, and you, you overcome them. He's pinned for three seconds, whatever it is, and somebody won. But this word wrestle is not against flesh and blood, and they're saying that the same thing happens. We have a spiritual, if you would say, hand-to-hand -hand combat going on. And it is Satan's kingdom in all these areas. And you could study a lot of the, the principalities, the powers. It's just different arenas, different uh, places of the spiritual darkness in the kingdom of, of Satan. And all the areas of power that he, I guess, has been granted. If, That's what I have down for the reality, or for the, uh, sorry, 
yeah, reality of the war. I think that's what we need to know and remember and to not ignore that the reality is there. We can't see it in a physical reality, but our spirit knows that it's real. The next one is the responsibility of the war. You can't get away from it. You can try to escape it. You can try to avoid it. But all of you have, and myself, we have a responsibility in this war. 1 Timothy 1.18 This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Timothy was told to war a good warfare. He uses both of them there. I think we understand what, is, what they're saying, what Paul is telling Timothy. We need to embrace spiritual warfare. It's not a concept. It's not an option. It's, if, if anything burdened me through this message was, is that in the place we live and how we can do things, that we put the spiritual side as Maybe not what I have to deal with every day. I can just do my normal things and it's my choice if I want to get involved in it or not. It is not just a concept. It is a responsibility. You are going to be in the war. And this here is given from the side of a committed Christian. That you would war a good warfare. And we need to embrace it. And second, or 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. It doesn't use the word war, but it uses fight. Now tell me how a non-resistant Christian is supposed to fight. We're not in physical ways. But in your spirit, you are to fight. You are to take all those physical desires and if you want to say manly things, you just want to smash the other guy to smithereens. Move that to the spiritual side, brothers and sisters, and fight. It says uh, about, in, in that verse, um, actually it's in the other one, about pro according to the prophecies which, which went on before thee. And it was for Timothy, these things were, were laid out. He had a good grasp of it. And, and Paul just, just put it right on top of him with it. He said about, you know, war, a good warfare. And then in, in the verse I just read here about fight a good fight of faith. And I want to bring out how important faith is. And if you study at any time, this says fight the good fight of faith. There is a lot of things in faith. 
And it says to, in this verse, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. A lot to do with that. But the commitment, and in talking of faith, the commitment to an unshakable and unmovable faith will give us the upper hand in any battle we face. It's your choice to believe. It's your choice to have an unshakable and an unmovable faith. And when a battle comes along, we'll get to it later, but we already won. We're not there yet, but we'll get there. The night is far spent. This is Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I appreciate that word armor. That is one of nothing can get me. I'm armored. The, the bank truck that goes says this is where all the money is, you know, but there's something with it. That's an armored vehicle. If you want to say that, I don't understand all of it. But you know that it's braced, it's made, that nothing's going to take that on. It'll be able to defend it. But that doesn't make sense. This is an armor of light. How are you going to defend in, uh, in, in just a defense part with light? No. You start studying this word. Sorry, i got to dig in these words again. Armor means both offense and defense. It's everything combined in order to fight. And when it says armor here, it could be meaning, yes, as a defensive node, defense part of it, but light is offensive, especially in darkness. The light pierces the darkness. And it's a means of overcoming darkness, not just defending it and, and holding grounds with it. And we're commanded to put on the armor of light. And a better word for that, and some... Uh, Versions, some, I don't know, NIV, NASB, different ones. Instead of saying armor, they say weapons. And that makes sense to me. Let us put on the weapons of light. And like I say, part of that is an armor. Part of that may be um, being on the defense side. But light pierces the darkness. And we are called as responsible soldiers to have weapons of light. 2 Corinthians 6, 4, uh, the first part of the verse, so this is in verse 4, it says, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Okay, that's the first part of 2 Corinthians 6, 4. And then there's a whole bunch of things listed down to verse 7. But the last part of verse 7 says, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Now I know I'm Jumping around here pretty quick, but if you can think through it with me here, that as a ministers of God, take that word there, ministers, just double check, that's the word uh, servant, like we get our word deacon from, so this isn't meaning me as a minister that stands up front and preaches, it's talking about anybody that is a servant of God, 
how you're going to prove yourself, it says in the, all those verses in between, it's by this, by this, by this. It's a long list. And it gets down to the end of 7. It says, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And you can, that same word armor again, you can put weapons in there. The weapons of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And it makes sense. If you're right-handed, you'll probably take the sword in the right hand and you might have a shield in the left hand. And if you're left-handed, you might want the sword in that hand and the shield in this one. But either way, both hands, they have something to fight with. 2 Timothy 2.3 Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's verse 3. Verse 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And as I stated before, the burden of being made aware of the, the reality of the war, I'm not sure which part it was in, that this isn't an option, it's a responsibility the Roman soldier was told not to get involved in anything but the war. He went to another country. He was not supposed to meddle in the affairs of the civilians, in the day-to-day -day activities of the common people. He wasn't supposed to get involved in them. And that's what's reflected in this verse. It says that you're not supposed to get entangled with the affairs of this life. So now it puts it in today's setting. And the Roman soldier's main duty and main goal was is to report back to the one that sent him on the mission and to do what pleased that man. It says about that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Are you getting entangled in things that are not part of the war? That is my question for myself, for all of you. Now my question is, if, I, if this explains my thoughts at all to you, are you the same Christian that you were years ago? And I say that because you don't get anywhere if you're not fighting and gaining any ground. If you are not progressing, you want to be looking and seeing, well, what is wrong? <clears throat> Satan tells us, just live a normal life. Just Wake up in the morning, eat your breakfast, go to work, come home, eat, go to sleep. The next day you wake up, that little word called repeat, you do it all over again. How many of you don't do that? No hands. Now tell me, is that a distraction? 
Did the Apostle Paul, and I'm going out on my own thoughts and things, did the Apostle Paul worry so much about his things that he did day in and day out? Where do you think his mind was? Boy, I got to make some more tents today. I got orders are stacking up. I just, I got to hire some help. We got to get them done. I don't know what all else Paul did. And he, no, he was burdened for the church. He was thinking, these, what do these people need? He, I see him as a man of prayer, as, as traveling to, to meet people. and to, He sent letters. and He wasn't entangled in the affairs of this life. And you know that we are physical people. We can't get away from it. We have to do the basics of life. But my burden again is, are we engaged in the war? Are we trying to just avoid it? If you are avoiding the war, you are losing the war. That's what Satan wants. And here is my summary of that. To grow in the Lord is to grow in the war. You can rephrase that. I just hope you get the idea behind that. If you are not becoming more and more willing and wanting to fight the war, I wonder how much you're really growing in the Lord. Because this book, as many things as it has been told, is a book about war. And I alluded to that in the beginning. It's also a book about love. It's a book about history. But as I realized, this whole book is about war. It's about a conflict. It's a God and Satan just... Now, Ephesians 6.10, that's the place you might have been thinking. It says in Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then 12 is that verse I read about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, kind of get sidetracked. But then 13 comes back, it says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. I'll just continue reading it here, 14 through 18. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This makes sure you understand that word armor. It says, put on the whole armor. I have it right there. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. That includes the offense and the defensive. It includes everything you can get 
a f and I have down here, put on the whole armor as a fully equipped soldier for offensive and defensive actions. And we read those, but I'll just repeat them again. Loins girt about with truth. Preach a whole message on truth. Another one was the breastplate of righteousness. There again, a whole big subject there. All these are. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You need a shield of faith. We talked about faith. You need a helmet of salvation. I just can't help but say the, the helmet is that part that protects the mind. And we're talking about the mind as we think of the war. And, and the helmet of salvation, that means to come to God. Our minds can be free. We can experience victory. And we need a helmet to protect that. We also need the sword of the Spirit, which we know is the Word of God. And then the other one at the end there is not necessarily a specific example of, uh, of a soldier, but it says praying. And I don't know how to bring that into the spiritual part of warfare like this. We, I, I mean, the, there's probably a whole other section or, or a, a opinions, ideas on the spiritual warfare, you know, all that takes place and how it works. I don't necessarily know. But prayer somehow almost is the most powerful thing we have. I mean, all these other things go right along with it. And this is my... The way I like to see it, and I don't know if it's necessarily correct, but in studying Revelation, I can just back up to it. I think it's in 9. You don't have to turn there. But an angel came, I'm jumping in the middle, I know, but it says, another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. I know that's a mouthful, it's a lot in there. But that throne is where it all is taking place. The ultimate authority, God himself. And it says in verse 4, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Now we can get that part, and I think that's right. The prayers go up before God. But verse 5, and this is where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking it a little bit too far. But it says, and the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. We don't see physical fire fall to earth, but wouldn't it be something to pray and to beseech God that fire would fall in the hearts and minds in a spiritual way that destroys the things of Satan? And I have a few examples of that because they just are in Scripture. And I guess I had two of them. But you look in the book about prayer and it is just uh, a topical book that I have, you know, on subjects. And it's, it's, there's many of them. But two that came to my mind. In 1 Kings, Elijah was faced with all the prophets of Baal said, all right, we're going to have a test. You know the story. They made the order. The God that answers by fire. 
What did Elijah do? He did what God told him to, but right before fire came, he said, trying to look here where it says his prayer actually started. It came to pass at the time of offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O God, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their hearts their heart back again. And 38 says, And the fire of God fell. It was Elijah's prayer that caused that to be made known. Now the other one is in Acts 12.11. Peter was put in prison. And I'm jumping in the middle of the story again, but just want to pull out how it is and when Peter was come to himself he said now I know of a surety that the Lord had sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod he was set free from prison he was um, the chains fell off and he was taken outside the gates and and Peter when he was come to himself said now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angels and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews and when he had considered the thing he came to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. There was a prayer meeting taking place. And it wasn't just a few. There were many, it says, where many were gathered together praying. And it's not for me to make requirements. I know when I was younger in the youth, you need to spend so much time per day in prayer. Two minutes. Five minutes. You just start down this trail. Well, what, how much is enough? You get to choose. You get to choose how much you want to be involved in spiritual warfare. Are we lazy? Am I lazy? Nate's shaking his head, yes. Maybe some of you, the rest of you are. Do you believe that the fire of heaven will fall when we pray? We don't need it to, but let's make sure we understand that the power is there. That it can, if God so wills. Okay, that is the end of the, whichever one it was responsibilities of the war let's go to the results of the war the funny interest not funny the interesting thing is is that this war is over and done if we knew that ukraine was going to beat russia or vice versa we'd be like okay it's done israel and hamas any other wars taking place they're just going back and forth who's going to win we don't know conflicting thing is is that this war is over but it is not over so i have them here it's not in the greatest order maybe but i just pulled the verses hopefully the ones that you think about or at least will get to eventually 
But 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Can you get a feeling of what he was saying here? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. If you want to be able to say this, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. If you want to be able to say that, you better step forward as a soldier of Jesus Christ. There's no other way around it. And I look at my life and I think I have fought a good fight. I want to. I desire to. It's a battle. It's a war. The Roman soldiers did get paid. As a soldier in the Roman army, they got paid. You remember Jesus telling them, be content with your wages? They were given. They were rewarded. And we will be rewarded as well. To a crown of righteousness. One of my most... Uh, a, a critical verse, a important verse is John 19:30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, this is him on the cross, he said, "It is finished." And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. One of my books I'm reading on Revelation says, "We have no idea what all took place when Jesus said, it is finished. The Greek word for that finished is where we get our Nike shoes from. And that word means victory. And Jesus said, I did it. It's finished. Not himself bring glory to himself, but his mission, his purpose. He goes, it's finished. I made it to the end. I am victorious in this mission that God gave me to. And he died. He gave up the ghost. It's a statement of victory. And that's unchangeable. That is there and we have it. Jesus Christ has won the war. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. If any of you theologians out there, I'll give you just a quick one. You can do whatever you want with it. But have you ever wondered when Satan was cast out of heaven? You pick this time and this time and this time and you go round and round and round. Sure, but I will give it to you that at the time of crucifixion would be a reasonable option. I get that from one of the books I read. but the accuser of our brethren. Satan standing before and accusing. Got myself in a pickle there. I don't know if that's still today or not, or then I let that for you all. No. We just know that Satan has, or Jesus Christ has won, and Satan is no longer in heaven in the presence of God. I don't think so. He is cast out of heaven. Revelation 20.10 I see it's time. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Some more revelation things. The beast, the false prophet, they were cast in the lake of fire. And this verse says, and the devil that deceived them was also, it was cast into the lake of fire. So the 
beast and the false prophet were already put there. And verse 10 of chapter 20 in Revelation says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20:14 And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Do you see the end of the war? This is the results. We get to see this already that anything evil is going to be completely removed and eradicated and done away with. Evil is completely, it's judged, it's removed. The war is over. And if we didn't have that assurance and confidence in it, I don't know how we would view the spiritual war that we're in now. But hallelujah, praise be to God, that we know what the results of this war will be. I have one little poem here yet. It's by John Greenleaf Whittier. Anybody do poetry in school? Might know who that is. I don't know much about the man, but he wrote, So let it be in God's own might. We gird us for the coming fight, and strong in God whose cause is ours, in conflict with... Unholy powers, we grasp the weapons God has given, the light and truth and love of heaven. And the, the one phrase right there, in conflict with unholy powers. That is, it just, it, it, it put everything in my mind kind of together. So my challenge to you and myself, is number one, become more and more aware of the spiritual war that we're in. I know you're aware of it, but become more and more of it. That we can war a good warfare. I was just blessed by that as I was reading through, thinking about preaching here at Millmont, and the idea just came through of, in reading that book, it's like, Yes, spiritual warfare. This is something we can't ignore. We need to know about it. And so I proceeded to look up all the verses and give you what I just did. And may each of you go out and fight. And I missed something completely that... Well, first of all, if you like ideas and all the things of the, um, you know, how it works, the, the theology of things, how was the war in heaven that I talked about between Michael and his angels, how was that fought? Was it with flesh and blood? Was it with sword? Maybe. I don't know. 
But if we use some backwards way to get in there, I think the struggle was Satan trying to convince Michael and his angels that he's right. And it was a battle of will. One of, you know, like we see it as mental strength. Like, I can beat him by reasoning, by thinking. This is how I'm going to overcome these angels because they... uh, Are they able to fall? Are they at their own will that they could choose and go? I don't know. Maybe Satan knows that and he's trying to say, hey, just by your, you know, it's your will. Because God made it that we can choose what we want to do. And the reason I kind of throw that out to you is because the spiritual war really comes down to a battle of your will. Nate, you preached about that, I think, last Sunday. Free will of man. I wanted to know just a little bit, like, what happened the week before, just, you know, for curiosity. It didn't really matter. And Nate's on this free will of man. Right on. It is the free will of man. And the battle is between those wills. If you're going to surrender or give up. If you're going to give in. And so I challenge you, the Spirit of God in your life, listen to it. Give in to it. Surrender to it. And you'll win the battle by giving up. It is is a... You stand at all of how this whole thing where it's it's just it's a reflection of God and what he's doing I'm running out of words thank you for listening and may we just press on in the things that God calls us to do let us kneel for prayer